Hello and welcome to the Global Careers Calls podcast from the University of London Career Service. Your chance to listen to stimulating career conversations between a member of our team and professionals working in a range of sectors based across the globe. So let's listen into our Global Careers Call. Welcome to this episode of Global Careers Calls, where Laura Brammer, Deputy Head of the University of London Career Service, is in conversation with Abdulwali Osman Mohammed about working in education in international humanitarian aid. Abdi works as an education specialist for the United Nations Agency UNICEF and is based in Somalia. In this conversation, he will explore current trends, including how digital technology is shaping his work and some top tips on how to secure your first role in this highly competitive field. We will be back soon with a new series of interviews, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this call with Abdulwali. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast with me, Laura Brammer, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Abdiweli Osman Mohammed. Thanks for joining us, Abdi. Really appreciate your time. So I'm going to start by asking a question about when you were studying with us at the University of London, would you describe yourself as a career starter, uh, a career developer or a career changer? What were you studying and, and how would you describe yourself at that time? Thank you, Laura, and good morning from Somalia, from my office in UNICEF North East. Uh, it's a great opportunity to have a quick interview I started the University of London SOAS in 2014, and I was doing until 2019, five years span, which is very interesting, but long journey. And I was actually a career developer. I have been working in, in aid sector in many years, but I do feel like I need more strong, robust kind of um, uh, academic credential from one of the best universities and so has become my choice and I have enrolled in 2014 April and I really enjoyed working with a different SOAS team from academic, from admin, from finance team and I was actually learning at the same time doing my work with UNICEF and with other aid agencies. Okay, thank you. So that sounds like you were at a stage where you could see the, the benefit of getting an extra qualification to give a kind of clearer shape to the kind of career trajectory you, you were on. Okay, yeah, that, that was right. Yeah. Okay, so obviously, we'd love to hear more about your work. And one of the things we're interested to hear a little bit about is, is, when you've had to be, when you've had to demonstrate sort of persistence and optimism in your work, we know this is a question that gets asked on interviews, uh, not just within your sector, but in different sectors. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about when you've had to, to sort of be that way in your job. Yeah, actually, I am currently sitting with UNICEF and in my previous job is required as kind of dedication, commitment and consistency across the duration of your employment with the with the agents. We are going to achieve a very ambitious plan for children in Somalia to give a better education, better health, better uh, 
drinking water. And this is a challenging area uh, for several reasons. So as a professional person working with UNICEF, managing a growing team in UNICEF Buntilan, I was always striving to be consistent across different policies and organizational procedures, and also with consistency of unpredictable of what we are going to do with the government agencies. I do daily work with Minister of Education officials okay. from uh, policy level, from implementation level. So it requires kind of clarity also and also providing a technical support where it's necessary so that you jointly, collectively achieve what is supposed to be a good place for children. Wow. I like what you were saying there about it's it's not just being optimistic, but being dedicated and just being persistent and being clear as well, like clarity, particularly if you're liaising with so many different stakeholders, I guess. And, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we are working with the different stakeholders. Expectations is sometimes it's very high. So you need to be very clear for what you are saying and also have commitment and so that things become consistent and, and achievable with a clear goals. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. So you kind of alluded to it in what you were just describing there, Abdi, and I wanted to ask uh can you give us some examples of how you have to deal with sort of unexpected change? We know that from lots of employers, both within your sector and different sectors, they're quite keen to hear from uh, graduates and students, you know, how do they manage unexpected change? Because we know that so often work is unpredictable. And I wonder if you could give us an insight into how you have to do it in your work within UNICEF. Yeah, I think that's a very good question and relevant to graduates, uh, students across many countries, and uh, including SOAS graduates who are now maybe new graduates handling a new job, which requires unexpected change within their organization or unexpected demand mm. based on uh, the new situation. So this is really a challenging environment. And from personal experience, I can share that this happens oftentimes and requires a kind of understanding, sometimes guidance from your supervisors, guidance from top organizational management to outline those kind of unexpected changes and also create a realistic plan where you can achieve. Uh, personally, sometimes people are different. Some people feel like shock, like sometimes uh, depression, sometimes feel like kind of uh, confusion, if you like, but it requires kind of uh, to be very calm and, and back the unexpected change and also come up with a realistic balance that you can achieve personally. And I'll also ask support if necessary from other colleagues you are working with or your supervisor or you also go beyond that. So sometimes it's relevant to like you have to come up with a proposal in three days. And this is something very a quick request and it's not easy. So those are the unexpected changes. And more recently, I will share that the work from where I sit in UNICEF, COVID-19 has also created unprecedented kind of situations where schools have been closed and we have to do... Uh, abnormal kind of programming 
to make sure that children is uh, learning. Yeah. Thanks for that. So, yeah, I can imagine that, you know, already working in quite tough kind of conditions, but COVID must have made everything significantly more difficult. Um, and I know that's that's been experienced, you know, across many different continents at the moment, isn't it? So where would you say, Abdulali, are perhaps the growing uh, number of opportunities in, in the field in which you work? Are there particular projects that seem to be getting increasing amounts of funding or are of particular interest sort of multi-agencies, et cetera? Or is it more that the projects are quite broad and, and therefore having a set of those skills is, uh, is important, you know, across the piece, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's a lot of very good questions are relevant to today's uh, the situation in the world because we have there is a more hormonal challenge today across the globe, which is getting back children to school. And doing that requires resources. And it's an opportunity where uh, a lot of career interest is growing, especially digital learning. If I right. take you an example, because of this is an area where only classes, traditional class learning cannot be the best at this context. So there is a growing area in education sector in general. Mm-hmm. And for example, assessment is doing how learning loss affected children. At the other areas is also exploring a, a learning pathway, which is different from the class. These are sometimes an area that few expertise are available. And, and it's an increasing area where donors, organizations, multilateral organizations, including UNICEF, the World Bank, the IMF, mm-hmm. and also the British government is interested to ensure that children are getting to school. And these are the area, I will say, in particular in this uh, pandemic period, mm-hmm. education in general, specifically digital learning, uh-huh. uh, making sure that children have alternative learning options. It is a growing area. It requires expertise, and I will even advise academic institutions to take how best they can support development countries and multilateral organizations, how they can make sure children are learning. In particular, interesting I want to share is not everybody can learn online because of we know the context varies from one country to another. Somalia, 50% of children do not have a basic electricity, let alone online or uh, internet connection. So those are the challenges. But it's an area that the professional uh, people can work. It does not require you to be an educationist or education background. Different graduates can able to support government is how best they can put children in the school. Mm. Well, thank you. So that is really interesting, that sense of digital literacy and digital learning and sort of learning technology actually being such an important part of the international development sector as well. And I mean, certainly I know within the UK, given the pandemic, uh, many institutions pretty much overnight had to move to using digital learning. And of course, our distance learning students, I often think of them as digital learners anyway, because they're learning, you know, through technology themselves. Um, But that's a really useful point that that might be an area that is is seen to be growing, despite what you were just saying about the the limitations of opportunity to this sort of digital gap um, that we sometimes talk about as well. 
Okay, so last few questions from me now. Um, I would like to invite you, Abby, to think of a sort of, you know, a, a younger version of yourself. So maybe someone, I mean, obviously now you've got many years in this field and they're a real specialist. But if you were talking to the sort of you many years back when you were thinking about moving into this sector, is there any advice you'd give yourself uh, based on the benefit of your experience now? Yeah, I think I've been in this industry over 15 years and I started early on, especially when I graduated from secondary school. This is where I started as a community development worker. Now I am education specialist in managing a 7 million portfolio a year with a growing team across different thematic education programs. This is very fantastic area to work. And putting myself back to 15 years, I think this is a time you need to increase networking within the organizations and also try to know more. This is the stage you are setting which career path you go. You don't have a clarity whether you will be education specialist or you will be a public finance specialist or health specialist or public official or whatever. Mm. So it is good that you have a passion. You, you follow your passion with clarity and also seek where you can get more uh, support. One of those experiences is like you need to enrich your qualification. You have to come up like appropriate if you want to go to education you have to have credentials recognized kind of a qualification relevant to, to that you need also to take maximum advantage of what you are doing you need to excel the what you are doing never underestimate your current role everybody is important to the organization so if you have been assigned a little task you need to do it well and from there you can grow. Sometimes what happens is that people, are, oh, I am graduate, I cannot do A, B, C, D, and then they mess up those tasks and then they never grow. So it is good that you excel to that. In addition to that, also, it is you to read, read, read. I think this is very critical, not only your emails, but also you need to read beyond your day-to-day -day tasks. You need to really understand organizational goals, organizational objectives, you need to raise circulars, you need to master organizational policies and do's and don'ts. So those are something you can build a, a disciplined version of you and also move on. So those are the things I can share, Laura, with you today. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great advice. I'm sure yeah. the younger version of you would be very grateful. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> well, certainly whatever you did has been really successful and really worked. So I'm sure many of our students and graduates will appreciate that insight. And that idea of, like you say, don't underestimate the impacts of your work, even at a junior level, because you're yeah. sort of planting the seed of the work yeah. you're going to do later on in your career. Uh, you mentioned networking. Uh, our graduates and our students know how valuable it is. Um, are there particular networking tips you'd, you'd give people to say are a good way to sort of build your network quite quickly? Yeah, I think there is today's many platforms that you can increase your network, but sometimes it's, it's intimidating because of you don't interact in person. So it's good always to start networking personally, in person as much as possible, putting yourself forward and introducing people what you do, what you are like to to move and your career ambition. Nothing is 
sometimes secret, but where you feel like you can make that kind of clarity is good. Networking with social media networks is very interesting area. For example, LinkedIn is an area that people can professionally connect each other and taking liberty to drop emails for alumni ambassadors like me mm-hmm. who can be helpful for you to guide and uh, attending many seminars and uh, webinars are also areas that you can network mm-hmm. because we can come together and join a lot of information, creating your own network. These are the tips yeah. I can provide for the time being, yeah. Yeah, and I think like you were saying there, it's a blend, isn't it, of face-to-face, Yeah, but also kind of virtual and, and, and digital networks, but also kind of just seeing everything as a potential networking opportunity. So, you know, going to a webinar that might be kind of taught by someone else, but you still can connect with other members of the audience, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay, last question from us, Abdiwali, and it's about this idea that, you know, obviously, you know, you studied one program, one academic discipline, but there's quite a lot of talk at the moment about the value of people from different disciplines working on projects together, sort of interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary sort of learning. And I wondered from your perspective as a professional, is that something that you also feel is beneficial in terms of working with people with different academic specialisms? Absolutely, absolutely for that. I can share my personal experience. I am a strong academic background for social policy, mm-hmm. governance, and, and public policy. This is my areas. I have two master's degree from IDS, Sussex University, and SOAS from University of uh, London. I do work with many education expertise, you know, and it gives me really interesting personal passion. Like I know education and I know how social policy works because at the end of the day, education is a part of uh, overall public policy issues. So it is good that I link those, create a strong link, synergies, if you like, and collaboration. So I feel comfortable working with also public policy people and I can understand their frustrations or ambitions on that. And so, in short, I believe that it is very helpful to work with the people with different expertise, different experiences from different countries. This is something which we call a multicultural organizations. It gives us really understanding how people think and where you are coming from. So those are the valuable, and I will never undermine those uh, kind of interesting collaboration with the different people. Thank you so much, Abdiwali. I so appreciate your time. I know how busy you are and you have squeezed us in uh, today very kindly. So I don't want to hold you back from your incredibly important work any longer. So on behalf of all of us at the University of London, thank you so much for your time and very best of luck with all the projects you're working on. Thank you, Laura, and good morning from Garaway. <laughs> Thanks now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This was the Global Careers Calls podcast, brought to you by the University of London Career Service. You can find all episodes on your favourite podcast provider, and all links and resources mentioned by our host are in the episode notes. This episode was hosted by Laura Brammer. It was edited by Bush Rajanu and presented by me, James Weaver.
and produced by all of us. We'll have more episodes coming out in the following weeks with some motivational stories from our diverse graduate cohort. So please do subscribe. And to listen to previous episodes and find further resources made by our team, visit www.london.ac.uk forward slash careers. Thanks for listening and join us next time for a new global career call. Thank you.